Floating Connect podcast. Today we had really, really smart and interesting guest from Silicon Valley. His name is Ron Shigeta. Uh, he's an investor, serial entrepreneur, and he has also been advisor for many, many startups who are creating companies in biotech field. And we had such an interesting conversation about where he sees today's biotech startups are versus like what's coming next in this industry and he also kind of compared where where they are in america versus where they are in japan so we had a really interesting conversation and i hope you enjoy it first of all i want to ask you what do you do uh, i i know you've done like so much and i've i've saw your um you know background on your LinkedIn and I mean you've been like investor you've been advisor like you've been all over can you kind of tell me yeah I have to tell you I'm older and so I was actually fully into my career I've been working in a biotech company I have mm -hmm. my bio I have a, a, a biophysics degree PhD wow. and I have been a working scientist for over 12 years mm -hmm. and I headed up a group and I had a good job mm -hmm. and I was I just reached that point where I was super not satisfied. I was feeling I had done what I could do there and I didn't see what I would do next. And I really wanted to move on. Mm -hmm. um, and fortunately I live in San Francisco Bay area, I live in Berkeley mm -hmm. and I just decided I was going to go for it. And uh, I'm a huge advocate for just dropping everything and, and doing what you really need to do. Mm -hmm. If you have the opportunity, I just started hanging out, at meetups and go into classes. And I just decided I'm going to do a startup and I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> um, and within about three years, mm -hmm. uh, I had my friend and I had built a lab where we were having small companies come in and mm -hmm. do biology projects in a, a space the size of a living room. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were paying us not very much money and we weren't making any money. And, uh, but uh, we managed to get sold into um, uh, an investment firm that mm -hmm. wanted to build an accelerator. So we built a laboratory and an office space mm -hmm. where small startups we invested in could come and work for three mm -hmm. four months. Uh, that, that program is called an accelerator and there, there are some in Japan and there are some all over the world, mm -hmm. but it's a limited time where mm -hmm. you get investment from, uh, you got investment from us and then you were in there for three months with other similar newbies trying to get their company started. Mm -hmm. And at the end, there's a graduation called Demo Day. And three or 400 investors would show up and just would just be looking right at you on the stage. Mm -hmm. um, it was an amazing experience for me to sort of build that and, and, and work, work on that staff for three years. We made 70 investments and they're all little biotech companies, two to five people running mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And they were, uh, they, they were just blowing my mind. It was mm -hmm. so great to work with these people. They had so many new and vibrant ideas. They were mm -hmm. so young and exciting. Uh, and I, I just to, to, felt totally justified in, in sort of dropping everything and jumping to a new, new career. So mm -hmm. I've been, and then after that, we, uh, my, my, my partner and I broke away from the investment firm. We started our own startup company. And I just recently left it and I'm advising and mentoring and helping with startups, um, uh, especially food startups. So mm. that's kind of my recent career. Mm. Ever since I sort of made that decision to, 
to to stop doing what I was doing and try to find something new, I, I it just goes faster and gets better every year. Wow, that's really exciting stuff. So um, my second question is, what is food biotech startups? Like what, what do they do mm -hmm. exactly? Yeah, so a food, so food is made in very old fashioned way. It's been around as long as human beings have been growing crops, mm -hmm. maybe 30 or 40,000 years. And that's been working very well for us. But recently there's just a gigantic number of people on the planet and the earth itself is having problems meeting the needs of people when they eat and it's causing all kinds of problems now and i think uh, with covid possibly coming out of a, of a of a sort of an exotic meat market we can start to understand people are starting to feel something but people who have been focusing and studying food they know that it's actually it's globally threatening our environment and it's threatening our health and at the same time the quality of the food Mm -hmm. is starting to go down for the average person globally and I, i've been to tokyo and i think people in japan also know this is happening to them mm -hmm. and so uh there's a lot of dissatisfaction around the food the mm -hmm. only way to fix this problem and feed eight billion people mm -hmm. are to change the material laws that create and grow food and particularly when it comes to animals it's mm -hmm. so expensive to feed an animal a cow Mm. or a steer for three years mm. and then slaughter it and then take one meal out of it mm. you know it's incredibly inefficient uh and so it's almost like i mean if everybody eats beef every day mm. it's almost like there's uh it's almost like there's like a trillion people on the planet because mm. it's like a three thousand you know three i'm sorry three three thousand meals or something like that for these animals mm. uh for one pound of beef it just it's 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 outrageous so and other other animals are also quite expensive so we we funded companies that wanted to do different ways some of them are taking cells mm -hmm. like with a syringe out of a pig or a cow they put them on a petri dish mm -hmm. and then they grow them in there and they just make meat out of them there's no animal at all so there's a lot and and it turns out that it only takes a few days so it's much more efficient Mm. Uh, in terms of material, mm -hmm. uh, if you do it that way, mm. and it's possible, it's a it's a way we can all have high quality meat, but mm. not have to pay the environmental cost for it. Mm. So there's a lot of other things about the way we eat, but that's sort of one of the big ones. Mm. Um, it's been on magazine covers, and it's a sort of a famous idea now. Mm. I see. So I, you know, new things are always scary to people. You know, and they are. Yeah, so that definitely like this new concept, you know, the future of food definitely brings some concern around people, I'm sure. Like, can you mm -hmm. kind of elaborate on that? Well, I think, I think there has been, I mean, the really the hope here is young people. People who are millennials and younger, mm -hmm. they sort of recognize that things are too messed up for them anyway. That in 20 or 30 years, mm -hmm. if we keep going the way we're going, it's just not going to be it's not gonna be livable for them. Mm. The older people, the baby boomers, they may not live to see the sad end of the story. So it depends also on the generation and the consciousness of the consumers. Mm. We thought that there would be a big struggle against this, but uh, there's a lot of people who don't wanna see animals slaughtered. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of vegetarians and vegans in the world. Uh, and there's a lot of people who want to eat more healthy 
and they want to drop meat from their diet. They're, they're looking for other kinds of ways to get the taste of meat. And there's lots of different technologies to produce meat without slaughtering an animal. Some of them are just simply making, making beef out of vegetables, uh, which we have done for generations, but the newest burgers are much, much more high quality. They taste and they look a lot more like hamburger. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a solution to every, for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what's really going to change people's mind is that the price of beef will have to start to go up eventually. It's just too subsidized. It's mm -hmm. too, too much resources are going to it to maintain the subsidized cost of beef that we have right now. Mm -hmm. And so when we see that, you know, I think people will start to naturally drift away from beef. Mm -hmm. It's so, a very, it's a very, it's a very long story, not to name, but I think we also have to remember that we're also looking at beef as it is. You buy a hamburger, mm -hmm. you go to a McDonald's or you go to a grocery store and you buy some beef. Mm -hmm. And that burger may have the meat of mm -hmm. 20 animals in it. You know, the whole system is how the beef is made and mm -hmm. how we take the scraps up the beef and make hamburger out of it mm -hmm. and the grade of the beef that goes in the hamburger. All that stuff is hidden from us. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of other kinds of factors in that message that will be important in the next 10 years as this beef becomes more accessible. Well. Yeah, I really couldn't help noticing you said the indication of the ears like ahead of us where we start seeing some sort of like effect or even tiny bit of like suffering from as a result of the problems that we're addressing. It's like very short. You said 10 to 20 years. Like that's very surprising. In 20 years, it will become so hot that some parts of the world may be un uninhabitable. The price of beef is changing right now, and the quality—the quality of the food—is right here, right now. Mm -hmm. I think, um, uh, but it's going to become. But I mean, I think anybody who's under fifty should really be thinking about the environment very, very seriously. Mm -hmm. um, but people need a solution. They need yeah, something definitely. that they can afford to buy and that they want to buy and eat. Mm -hmm. And so that's what these companies are working on. They want to provide. Uh, an alternative so that if you decide to participate in saving our own planet, mm -hmm. then you can and you can afford to just by making a choice at the supermarket. Mm -hmm. I think it's very empowering and exciting. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So the third question is, since um, a lot of our listeners are from Japan, um, we you often work with people who want to enter the market in America. So what kind of collaboration do you see between uh, Japanese company and American company in this area? I have been to Japan and I've actually worked with venture capitalists in Japan oh, trying to fund some thanks. of these companies. So they exist in Japan right yeah. now. Mm -hmm. um, and in particular, uh, oh no, I'm gonna have to remember the name, but there's, you know, there's, there are several different funds that are being created in Japan right now and they're looking for startups mm -hmm. who are uh, actually a digital garage is one of them and the other one that i've worked with oh goodness i'll have to try to remember it but they they're in tokyo mm -hmm. and there there are funds for japanese who want to try this kind of thing mm -hmm. uh, and so actually what it, it's harder to find an entrepreneur who's willing to drop mm -hmm. uh, what they're doing and a little bit of their security and their regular you know their regular schedule mm -hmm. to sort of become the owner of their own company mm -hmm. uh, but i think once you do it it's ex terribly exciting that 
sense. And, and I think you have done this a little bit yourself. And uh, I think you like, I think podcasts like yours can really encourage people to understand that this is the way we have always lived. Only, only the past 70 years or so have we been in a position to work at a company and stay there our entire lives. Before that, even in Japan, it just didn't happen. Everybody had their own shop. Everybody had their own business or you would buy groceries, buy vegetables and you would take them to the market and you would sell them yourself. Mm -hmm. Everybody was an independent business person. And I think once you connect with that, there's this sort of spiritual excitement that happens mm -hmm. when you sort of feel free. Mm -hmm. And I, so I, you know, I hope that that's the kind of message that will catch on mm -hmm. uh, in Japan because it's a lifestyle choice. Mm -hmm. And the economics of working for a large company are not what they used to be. The security is not what it used to be. And anybody who looks at it, you look at the economic factors. I mean, how do people feel in Japan? Like you, you know that the price of goods are dropping because there's so many manufacturers globally now. Globalization's changed all the pricing rules. And you know, you people are not making as much money as they did. Do people in Japan see this? In Tokyo, do they see this? Mm, not really. I don't, I don't really? No. In, in America, we have our president because of this. <laughs> I mean, the American middle class has lost purchasing power in their, in, I mean, when I was a kid, if you were a garage mechanic, well, that's not a great example because they still make a lot of money. But, you know, if you, if you had a very humble sort of like job, you know, working with your hands, you could, you could support a family and live in a comfortable home. Everybody ate well. And this is just no longer true in the United States. Of course, mm -hmm. people in the United States have very exalted ideas about what they need. Mm -hmm. But even so, I mean, there's more, there's less security for people here. And I think we're all going to start to feel this. Mm -hmm. All these trends are coming. And, 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 and that's what's pushing all of us to look for new solutions to things. And, you know, what we eat is one of the questions that we can all participate in if we want to get involved. Mm -hmm. So in terms of progress of it, do you see America being the leader of that? Or do you also see um, a lot of startups working on the same very problem in Japan as well? Well, I hope so. I really hope so, Natsume. I think, I mean, I know it, look, in Asia overall, yeah. more venture capital money was invested last year than in the United States. Hmm, interesting. So mm -hmm. there, the money is there. The, mm -hmm. there are there are there are people who want to see more entrepreneurialism in asia mm -hmm. and and especially in japan mm -hmm. because japan has all of the education it mm -hmm. has all the technical know-how mm -hmm. and it, it just it's really kind of a cultural choice mm -hmm. everything is there waiting to help someone get get moving mm -hmm. uh, they just need to um uh they just need to sort of like get involved Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of open meetups in Tokyo uh, mm -hmm. and some of the other cities. There are actually spaces that are opened up at the university or in research parks mm -hmm. for people to come in and start a lab. The lab is already built. All you have to do is buy some things off eBay and put them in there and start working. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a very exciting time. And it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a moment when someone can be young and just finish their education mm -hmm. and they can they can be in the position to lead. Mm. And I, I think it's kind of scary for many Japanese. Mm -hmm. It's very scary for young postdocs in the United States mm -hmm. that I have worked with, but it can be very comfortable very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, it's just a matter of trying these things. 
Mm. Um, but it really is the future because we can't wait for someone to be 50, 60 years old mm -hmm. to create a company and have their ideas become reality. Mm -hmm. We need ideas right now. And mm -hmm. there are so many things about food we're just learning about. We're mm -hmm. learning about how the gut has more neurons than the brain of, brain of a cat. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's this beautiful thing. Our intestines are this beautiful thing, which is thinking, it's feeling, it's smelling, it's tasting, and it's interacting with this jungle of microbes that live in there. And all of this stuff is computing how we should digest our food and how it creates our health. So it goes well beyond just simply producing the same food we've ever had. Mm -hmm. You know, I think Japan is famous globally, is the world round. Mm -hmm. Japan is famous for making food that doesn't look or taste like anything else you could imagine. And they use the same fish, the same vegetables everybody else does. It's a transformative, imaginative act. And this is exactly what needs to continue to happen with food, but on an even more scientific and technical level. Mm -hmm. you know? And there are, Japanese, there are Japanese startups that are doing this already. Mm -hmm. There's a company uh, called Shojin Meats, mm -hmm. uh, and it's headed up by, um, by a young man who was there doing biohacker work. He had a little lab, and he was growing cells sometimes with soft drinks. Uh, and he's because he's trying to find a cheap way to grow the cells mm -hmm. and so he was yeah I mean and he was uh, feeding them with soft drinks and he's building his own devices and mm -hmm. he got funded for quite a bit of money uh, by Japanese uh, venture capital and now mm -hmm. he's an international sort of well-known figure in culturing meat you know um, and there's money all around the world for this we funded the I, fu I was on the team that funded Memphis Meats which is the first a cellular ag meat company mm -hmm. uh, about five years ago now. Mm -hmm. There's over 60 of them all over the world now. So there, there's definitely support for you if you jump into this um, and you just need to sort of think deeply about what makes a good company. And mm -hmm. if you have that creative inspiration, you can be, you can be playing in this game with everybody else. Mm. So that being said, I guess my following question is, if so a lot of my listeners would be um businesses who are willing to you know start something start mm -hmm. a company in america yeah like, what are the kind of advice do you have for any corporations or even individuals who want to start yeah. a business in a biotech like tech right so first of all um you know it's important to get your basic your basic idea Mm -hmm. and your technology show that it works you have to demonstrate it works and sometimes you can't get very much funding without it mm -hmm. so there are organizations all over the world like IndieBio, mm -hmm. like y combinator like the berkeley skydeck uh like the digital garage in tokyo which will fund a small company and help it get started mm -hmm. and um and uh they are capable of giving away a few hundred thousand dollars to mm -hmm. the company just based on an idea sometimes. Mm -hmm. So there's possibility of just applying even before you have a company mm -hmm. and they'll help you form a company, they'll help you get started, they'll help you find your market, they'll help you get to re make contacts in whatever market you choose to be in. Mm -hmm. um, all of these things uh, can work. Um, there's also a lot of help once you, let's say you wanna stay in Japan and you wanna get funded, uh, then uh, you can uh, you can get funded uh, 
by Japanese VC, and then you can be ready, and then they will help you come to the United States. Um, it's 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 a cultural change. You have to be really integrated to the culture you're trying to sell into. So you have to become somewhat of an American, understand what Americans buy and what they sell. This is a big transition. I have actually uh, spoken with companies doing this. Uh, it is certainly not easy, but uh, it's you know it's a huge market and there's a tremendous appetite for innovation here. And it's a good place to sell a lot of things. Um, California is ready and welcome, welcoming for you to come. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit of advice. So when I work with, I, I do, I advise companies. Mm -hmm. And if you're a startup coming, you, you're in Tokyo or you're in Japan, mm -hmm. and you want to come to California or some other part of the United States, mm -hmm. then, then it's, you may need to figure out how you're going to get investment. So if you're going to, if you're a, if you're a Japanese corporation and you want to come to the United States and get some of that venture capital money, Mm -hmm. It can be difficult. You will you probably be asked to convert your company into an American company. Mm -hmm. That's because venture capital, they have restrictions on what kind of company, literally what class of corporation mm -hmm. that they can invest in. And so a lot of them can only invest in a Delaware C corporation, very mm -hmm. particular kind of company. Mm -hmm. So you have to be prepared and your investors have to be prepared for that transition. Mm -hmm. uh, they will have an opinion about it. There isn't as much venture capital in Japan as in as in the whole of the continental United States. Mm -hmm. So that's um, that is something you kind of have to plan for. They should know about it, but if they don't, then you have to talk it through with them. Mm -hmm. And then there's a whole bunch of other things about getting started and doing business in the United States. It's a very long, it's a it's a complicated process, but it is not something uh, that two people in a very small company can't learn to do. Mm -hmm. So if they are capable of funding themselves, like what are the other experts do they have to look for when they want to plan for like a business plan? I think it's really good to get advisors um, to help them. They can be the university professors that taught you. Sometimes they'll be happy to do it or a supervisor from your old job or someone you met. I think it's really good to continue to network and make friends in business. Mm -hmm. uh, the more friends you have and the more contacts you have, the more you can draw on their experience. Mm -hmm. it, it's not something that there's no extra points. There's no extra money mm -hmm. for doing this by yourself. The mm -hmm. more help you can get, it may feel like cheating, but it doesn't matter. What, mm -hmm. The important thing is to succeed and survive. Yeah. So uh, there, if you go and make friends with an investor or you mm -hmm. find a good advisor, they will help broaden your network. Mm -hmm. uh, some people choose to draw on their own network. They may have an excellent network, mm -hmm. but you should, if, I mean, as part of putting together your company and your idea, mm -hmm. you should make friends with your supervisors, people in the business you're trying to sell into. Mm -hmm. Some of these people will know the United States very well or mm -hmm. whatever, or, or China or wherever else you want to sell your, your stuff, right? I see. Should they have them as onboarding or like, is it, you know, mm -hmm. So there, so there's three kind, two or three kinds of relationships you can have to someone who's helping you. One of them is if they're willing to put in time and money, mm -hmm. if they're going to go 50% or even 100% full time, mm -hmm. then they can be a co-founder. So you can give them a pretty big slice of the company, but mm -hmm. that, ref, you know, that compensation reflects full dedication to the company, right? Mm -hmm. So um, if people have a smaller, if people have a smaller role, you can afford to make, have many advisors with a small amount of stock. Mm 
So mm -hmm. in, the, in California uh, and startups, it's typical to give the advisors between a half mm -hmm. to 2% of the company, depending on how much work and how much value they're bringing. It's mm -hmm. not very much. You can afford to have three advisors like this. Mm -hmm. uh, I generally believe you shouldn't go higher than 2% unless mm -hmm. they're actually doing work. So advisors don't do work. Mm -hmm. They just tell you what to do and then you go do the work. That's mm -hmm. a pretty fair trade, 1% for something like that. Um, if they are doing your books and they're, they're writing letters for you and they're going to meetings and they're signing documents for the company, mm -hmm. then they'll probably be a part-time co-founder. Those can be handy if you need a, a lawyer, for instance, a lot of lawyers be at 5% of the company for basically being your counsel. Uh, mm -hmm. That's a good trade, right? So it's important to be open handed. Mm -hmm. And if someone's really helping you, you should go reward them. It doesn't have to be something you can't afford. But you just have to remember to be generous because uh, if the company dies because you didn't take enough help, then nobody gets anything. <laughs> mm -hmm. I understand. Okay, well, that being said, um, do you, can you also help companies like that? Uh, can you I do. Okay, can you yeah. kind of tell us where people can find you and everything? Thanks for, yeah, thanks for saying. So I have a LinkedIn, uh, I have a LinkedIn page. Mm -hmm. You can find me, Ron Shigeta, on LinkedIn. Um, I review people, I talk to teams all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm putting my basic, all my basic tips up Mm -hmm. on my TikTok feed. It's the mm -hmm. first venture capital startup TikTok feed. It's called mm -hmm. Startup Minute. Mm -hmm. um, and it's probably starting just before this goes out. I've got mm -hmm. six or seven videos ready to go. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I'd love to hear you and talk about your ideas. And I will sometimes have those relationships for two or three years before the company's ready to actually start. Mm -hmm. So I'm very patient with them. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for coming to the show today. Yeah, thank you, Natsune. It's great to meet you. And uh, hello to everybody in Japan. <laughs> Just really, really enjoyed being there. And I love Jap Japan and Japanese people. Amazing. Well, thank you very much.